Take your Bibles this morning and turn with me to John's Gospel, chapter number 3. John chapter number 3. As we look here this morning, we're going to talk about the whole chapter, pretty much, or the first half. But we're going to start reading here in verse number 14 this morning. Uh, and then we're going to bounce back a little bit here uh, toward a little later on. And so, uh, John chapter number 3. Uh, beginning in verse number 14. And as Moses was lifted up, as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. For God sent not his Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. He that believeth on him is not condemned. But he that believeth not is condemned already, because he hath not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. And this is the condemnation, that light is come into the world, and men love darkness rather than light, because their deeds were evil. And I'm going to speak this morning on this thought, simply, Jesus saves. Let's pray. Father, thank you again for the promise of salvation, for the hope that we have in Christ. Lord, I pray that you'd help us to settle in. I pray that you'd help us to receive what you have for us. Lord, if there's believers here this morning that are not walking closely with you, have kind of lost contact, I pray that this would help us to just be reacquainted, reminded of the, of the price that was paid, that we might not just have salvation, but that we might have uh, an abundant life. Lord, I pray that you'd help us to experience that. But Lord, most of all this morning, I pray if there's someone here that's never trusted you as their Savior, maybe perhaps never understood their need uh, for a Savior, that they would be understanding this morning. Holy Spirit, that you would make it clear in our hearts and our minds. Lord, do the work that only you can do. And Lord, we trust you to do it. In Jesus' name and amen. Jesus saves. To a believer of Christ, they are the words of life. They give us hope. They give us comfort. They keep us uh, focused on the Lord. But to the world, they are the cliche of the ages. You see those words virtually everywhere, especially uh, in the, the Bible Belt. And in the, so we're kind of on the edge of that on the southern uh, belt of states. And if you get on 146 and drive south toward the Hartman Bridge, you'll drive past up, up somebody's fence and they've got Jesus saved painted on the fence for all to see as you drive by uh, in great big letters. You see billboards at times that have got Jesus saves plastered. You see bumper stickers. You see it sometimes on uh, the back of, uh, of trucks. And, and I'm not knocking that. I think that's a great thing. I'm just saying this morning that those of us that understand the importance and the power of those two words and the power of the name of Jesus. Uh, to us, that is, I wish people would wake up and I pray that people would wake up and come to understand. But to the world at large, it's just a cliche. It's something that they hear that has no real meaning. They mock it. They, they make light of it. They'll say, have you, have, in kind of in a mocking way, did you have a come to Jesus moment? Or did you uh, find Jesus if somebody kind of cleans up their act or turns over a new leaf? And uh, as if it's a bad thing rather than a good thing. Uh, and so, but I'm here to tell you this morning that it is the greatest of things. Amen. That Jesus and knowing Jesus as our Savior, uh, there's no... Truth more profound 
Uh, and there's no simpler truth that the world has corrupted and polluted so, so much. And so we have to understand this morning as we move forward, my goal this morning is simply this. It is to communicate clearly that there is a Savior, that we need Him, and that we can know that we're on our way to heaven if we'll put our faith and trust in Him. Uh, and so when we look here at this context in this text, we see that God is making it clear in the Word of God that He wants us to know. May I say to you this morning, that God wants you to know that you have eternal life. He doesn't want you to hope that you have eternal life. He doesn't want you to wonder if you have eternal life. He wants you to know that you have eternal life. Uh, most religions can be reduced down to whether they're Christian in name or whether they are Eastern or whether they are, uh, whether they are Middle Eastern. It all boils down to one thing. This is what you must do to have another life or eternal life or everlasting life. But in true belief in Jesus, he simply says, I've done it. Amen. It's done. It's for you. And I'm inviting you to accept me uh, as your Savior. In John, 1 John chapter 5 and verse 13, he says, These things have I written unto you that believe in the name of the Son of God, that ye may know that ye have eternal life, and that ye may believe on the name of the Son of God. If I put my faith and trust in him, he offers eternal life. The Bible tells us the power of that name, that there's no other name uh, whereby we must be saved. We see in Acts chapter number 4 and verses 10 through 12, uh, where he tells us, Be it known unto you all and to all the people of Israel, that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom ye crucified, whom God raised from the dead, even by him doth this man stand here before you whole. This is the stone which was set at naught of you, builders, which is become the head of the corner. Neither is there salvation in any other, for there is none other name under heaven given among men, whereby we must be saved. My friends, this morning Jesus is the only way. He says in John chapter 4 and verse 16 that I am the way the truth and the life and no man cometh unto the Father but by me. There is no other way. Uh, there is no Jesus plus this, that, or the other. It's simply the Lord Jesus Christ. It is the supernatural work and act of God. Every knee will bow. Say, well, pastor, if I don't believe that or people that don't believe that, uh, what's going to happen of them? Well, there will come a time and there will come a day when they will bow. It may not be in this life, it may be too late to save their eternal soul, but they will bow. Philippians chapter 2, beginning in verse 5, he says, Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, and took upon him the form of a servant, and was made in the likeness of man. And being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. Notice what he says next. Wherefore God also hath highly exalted him and given him a name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow of things in heaven and things in earth and things under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Wherefore, my beloved, as ye have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Be growing in the grace of Christ. Accept him. Accept the understand Jesus is the only 
way to heaven. Jesus saves. But what does that really mean? What does that mean to me? What does that mean to you? What does that mean to that person out there that's looking for an answer? They, they're, they're, they know that there's a void and they know they're searching, but perhaps they don't even know what they're searching for. They just know that something's missing. They know that they're hopeless in, uh, in, in a hopeless course. May I uh, say to you that Jesus is answering that question in our text in John chapter 3 this morning. When you see the first and the opening verses of John chapter 3, and for sake of time, uh, we're not going to go back and, re- and we're not going to read all of that intro, but um, a Pharisee, a, someone who's stooped in religion, who is concerned primarily about power, prestige, and works, has been listening to Jesus and seeing what Jesus has done and, and, is, and is looking and is touched and being moved by the Spirit of God to Christ. He comes to Jesus by night. This coming at night is indicative of the fact that he has much to lose if he puts his faith and trust in Christ and he's being cautious. It's such a profound statement that the Bible never records the name Nicodemus without reminding us that he came to Jesus by night. And so he comes at night and he begins to question Jesus. And he says, Lord Jesus, he said, no, no we know that you're come from God. Nobody can do the things that you do. Nobody can do the miracles that you do. Nobody can, uh, can t- touch lives and speak the way you do. And Jesus cuts them off uh, and just gets right to the point. And he says, if you want to be born again, if you want, or if you want to have everlasting life, Nicodemus, you must be born again. He's confused. How can I be born again? Uh, and so, uh, and he just tells them, he said, listen, unless you're born by water and by the spirit, unless you're born by the word of God, unless you're born in the way that you were born naturally uh, to your mother and to your father, you must be born supernaturally to the family of God. You must be born of water and uh, of the spirit. The spirit must be resurrected. And so Jesus lays this out. Nicodemus is still struggling to understand. And it's so profound that Jesus looks at him and he says, How can you, being a master in Israel, being someone that's learned and knows the scriptures, not get this, Nicodemus? How can you not understand? But let me help you. Let me help you understand, and that brings us to our text this morning. As Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up. Now that is a reference back to the book of Numbers in chapter number 21. And we see in Numbers chapter 21, uh, whenever he's there, that, uh, that they are com- they're in the wilderness. They've left Egypt. Moses has led them out. Uh, and they're murmuring and they're complaining. And God uh, sends fiery serpents to them. Uh, and the serpents begin to bite them. And so just imagine being out in the desert. Uh, and you're, you're making your way from uh, being enslaved as a people for 430 years to a place of promise that God has given. And you're complaining along the way. It's hot. You don't like the food. The water sometimes is scarce and you don't know uh, exactly what you're getting into. Uh, And so you're going along and you're just kind of moving along and you're griping and God gets tired of listening to you complain. And so he says, I'm going to give you a demonstration of the fact that you need to have faith in me. You need to trust in me. And so the rattlesnakes come out and they just start biting people. And people are laying there sick and dying. And God tells Moses, make a brazen serpent and put him up on a pole, lift him up in the desert. And as the people are dying there, if they'll just simply look at that image, signifying they're they're taking their trust off of themselves and they're placing their trust in what I've said, then they'll be healed. We see that recorded in uh, Numbers chapter 
number 21 and verse 5 and it says and when he spake against God and the people spake against God and against Moses wherefore have ye brought us up out of Egypt to die in the wilderness for there is no bread neither is there any water and our soul loatheth this light bread they don't like God's angel food the, the manna and the Lord sent fiery serpents among the people and they bit the people and much of the people of Israel died therefore the people came to Moses and said we have sinned for we have spoken against the Lord and against thee Pray unto the Lord that he will take away the serpents from us. And Moses prayed for the people. And the Lord said unto Moses, Make thee a fiery serpent and set it upon a pole. And it shall come to pass that everyone that is bitten, when he looketh upon it, shall live. And Moses made a serpent of brass and put it on a pole. And it came to pass that if a serpent had bitten any man, that he beheld the serpent of brass, he lived. And then they were able to move forward. What's he saying here? He's saying, listen, salvation does not fit the logic of man but God's way must be trusted if I'm going to wait until I get it all figured out until I can dot every I and cross every T and understand theologically all of the intricacies of life and salvation and, uh, and all of the different elements of Christianity and everything that's laid out in the word of God I, I'm overthinking salvation is simple I'm a sinner and I'm destitute without God and the only hope that I have of salvation is the Lord Jesus Christ. And I don't have to understand that every little thing in my life that's right or that's wrong. I just have to know this. I have sinned. Because I've sinned, I need a Savior. Jesus loved me enough to pay the penalty. And we'll get into more of that in a moment. Uh, and if I'll look to him, he'll save me. He'll heal me. He'll give me uh, eternal life. And so uh, he's laying it out here. There's no other name. Every knee will bow. And Jesus is coming and saying to us, listen, you, you've got to get this figured out. I'm explaining, Jesus says to you, the best that I can. And so what does Jesus explain? He explains three primary things in this text that we're going to look at this morning. First, he explains it's why salvation is necessary. I believe that no one is ever going to put their faith and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ unless they come to understand that they need him. That used to be easy. You know, it used to be when you try to talk to someone about their faith and you met somebody maybe at a coffee shop or standing in line or at a grocery and you, and you struck up a conversation and, and or a neighbor or a co-worker that, that most people inherently understood that I'm sinful. That I, I, may, I may be determined that I'm going to continue to indulge in my sin, but at least there was an understanding on a basic level that, I'm a, that I sin. You don't see that so much today. People don't understand. The younger generations this, this morning do not even understand that they're sinners. They don't understand. And if they don't understand that, they'll never understand why they need, a Jesus, why they need Jesus. Why they need salvation. So Jesus explains, Nicodemus, this is why salvation is necessary. Then he's going to explain to him the cost, the high cost of salvation. Salvation is free for you and I, but it wasn't free for him. There was a high cost associated with it. And then he explains the procedure for obtaining salvation. How do I uh, receive Christ as my Savior? So consider first of all this morning the case for salvation. Why is this important, Pastor? Why uh, do men need this? Why do I need this? Well, I would say this first of all this morning. Uh, that the human race is snake bit. That we as a race of people, regardless of time, regardless of age, regardless of age, regardless of social standing, uh, it doesn't matter what era we're born in, we are snake bit. 
we are inerrantly sinful. And sin's venom poisons our view of self and it poisons our view of God. We do not understand that God is holy and just and righteous. We understand that God is love because that's all the world wants us to know of him. Uh, and so, uh, but you can't separate one attribute from God from another. Listen, I have four children. And I promise you, in the, in the 30 years that my wife and I have had a child, uh, that, uh, that we come to, have come many times over the years to a place where we have been angry at our children. Or frustrated with our children. There were times when they were in our home and under our care that we disciplined our children. Does that mean that we don't love them? No, we did it because we love them. And we, we have emotions that are the emotions that were created in God's image. The emotions that we have are the same emotions that God has. And we sometimes forget, and the world wants us to forget, that God is more than just love. That God is still righteous, that God is still holy, that God is still pure, that God is still faithful, that God is still on his throne, and God is still in control of everything that's taking place. And what I'm saying this morning is that I have to understand that the human race is poisoned by sin. My view of myself is poisoned. I, I, I'm, supposed to, I'm supposed to have high self-esteem. I'm supposed to think that I'm something great. I'm supposed to think that, uh, that I can go out and do big and great things uh, in my lifetime. Now listen, I, I do believe that God will put his hand of blessing and power on people that are humble and, and, and will raise them up as they humble themselves and allow them to use them. I'm just trying to make the point this morning that because of our sinful nature, the view that we have of ourselves is corrupt. The view that the world wants us to have of ourselves is corrupt. I'm not saying that you need to be going around self-loathing. I'm just saying this morning, I need to understand that I'm not perfect, that I have sinned, that I've got problems, and I need to understand that God, while he loves me, is still perfect and righteous and holy. So first of all, consider that the human race is snake bit. Secondly, I would say this, the human race is sinful by nature. We're, we sin because it's our nature to sin. My wife has a little chihuahua. He doesn't have any teeth left. He doesn't bark anymore. I mean, on the rare, rare, I think maybe in the last three or four years, I've heard him bark twice. My neighbor next door has got two little, I think they're chihuahuas, uh, and they're puppies. And so they'll come out in the backyard and they'll just bark their head off. And they're just, you know, typical chihuahuas. They're just, they're, they, they think that they're big and they're not. And they've got all the attitude to go with it. Uh, and so uh, they'll come right up against the fence in the backyard when they see our dog out there and they'll just go crazy barking and he just prances around the yard and doesn't even acknowledge their existence. I mean, he's clueless. He does, and I don't know if that his cataracts are so bad he's old that he can't see or if he's so deaf that he can't hear or if he's just over that and he's not interested anymore or some combination of all of the above. Uh, but I'm saying that he, 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 is, he does the things that he does they do the things that they do because it's their nature to do. I've never heard him meow. I've never seen him climb a tree. Why? Because it's not his nature. We sin because it's our nature to sin. You never have to teach your child how to do the wrong thing. 
You don't have to teach a child to lie. You don't have to teach a child uh, to throw a fit. You don't have to teach a child to be selfish. They do those things naturally because it is, our, uh, it is in our nature to do it. Uh, in Romans chapter 5 and verse 12 it says, Wherefore is by one man sin entered into the world and death by sin and death passed upon all men for that all have sinned. We're all sinners. When Adam sinned, we, re, we inherited his sinful nature. You see that, ladies? All people are sinful because of their father, not because of their mother. And so mom's not the problem. It's dad that's the problem. We passed on our sinful nature to our children, uh, and it's in them. And it, is, it is, and it causes us to be sinful. But he goes on in verse 18 uh, of Romans chapter 5 and says, Therefore as by the offense of one judgment came upon all men to condemnation, even so by the righteousness of one the free gift came upon all men to justification of life. For as by one man's disobedience many were made sinners, so by the obedience of one shall many be made righteous. Moreover the law entered that the offense may abound, but where sin abounded grace did much more abound. I'm just saying this morning that we have to come to the realization and the understanding that the human race is corrupted by sin and we are acting upon our sinful nature. That's just what we do. It's just we can't help ourselves. We can't, uh, we can try for a while, we can discipline ourselves for a while, but we're going to go back to who and what we are at a base level and that is a sinful being. The third thing that I would say about the case for salvation is this. It is that the human being is then condemned by unbelief. Notice in our text in John chapter 3 and verses 17 and 18. We always, we love John 3, 16, but we stop short whenever we don't look beyond it. John chapter 3 and verse 17. For God sent not his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. He that believeth on him is not condemned. But he that believeth not, notice this, is condemned already. Because he hath not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. One of the things that men will ask, that religion will teach, is that if you sin enough, then you need Christ. Or if you commit these sins, then you need Christ. And if, you, uh, if you're immoral in your lifestyle, or if you're dishonest in your business dealings, or if you are abusive in your relationships, then those are the sins that kind of push you over the threshold uh, to where you really need salvation in Christ. And and you, you, you can't get past those things. And, you know, God understands the little white lie. And God understands this little thing or that little thing. I'm going to tell you what God understands. God understands that we're sinful. And God understands this. That the sin that condemns the man's soul to eternal, uh, to life, an eternal con condemnation in the lake of fire. Is the sin of rejecting Jesus Christ as our Savior. We want to put labels on it. We want to say big sin, little sin. So I'm just here to tell you this morning that the only thing that I have to do to die and spend an eternity separated from God and eternal punishment is to reject what Jesus Christ has done for me on Calvary's cross. To forget about, well, this person lives this lifestyle and this person lives that lifestyle and this person does this and this person believes that. It doesn't matter. What matters is what I've done with Jesus and what I've let Jesus do with me. When I come to understand this morning that the human being is condemned by unbelief, uh, it kind of puts all of us on even playing field. It doesn't matter how big the bank account is or how broke you are. 
It doesn't matter if you live in a nice home or under a bridge. It doesn't matter uh, what your family background is. It doesn't matter whether, you, uh, whether your home life is what it should be and is honoring, glorifying to God, or if it needs a lot of work this morning. Uh, we, we all have plenty of room to grow, but the point is this morning is that when you take everything out of the equation and you just put us at a base level, then where we are without Jesus Christ, as we are sinful at our core, it is our nature, and because of that, we refuse to trust Christ as Savior, and we will not see our true need for him and that's why when we are when we are going through life that if we do not put our faith and trust in him then we cannot go to be in his presence in eternity for heaven in heaven the case for salvation we need him because we're in the bible says here our deeds are evil second thing this morning the cost of salvation okay pastor you said uh that in the bible tells us that for the wages of sin is death but the gift of God is eternal life. I'm going to explain the concept of a gift because TV commercials have really corrupted our thinking and understanding of what a gift is. The TV commercial comes on and says that if you buy this product for $19.99, then you will get for free this thing over here. Uh, and it's, a, it's, a, it's a three times the value of what you paid $19.99 for, right? But I got it for free. No, you didn't. You paid $19.99 for it. It may be a good deal, but it's not free. Somebody comes to you. I love, I love, one of the things that I love about the fall of the year is the beginning of football season. Uh, and so, uh, and so whenever, uh, whenever football season commences, and, uh, and uh, my team is, will probably never, until their owner dies, my team's never going to make it back to the Super Bowl. But, uh, but, uh, but whenever the Super Bowl comes around and somebody were to come up and say, hey, Brother Matthew, I've got two 50-yard line first row seats for you, Miss Rebecca, uh, for the Super Bowl. Here you go. And you're like, oh, man. This is awesome. He probably is the one person in the room doesn't care about football, but that's okay. Uh, and so, uh, and so, and he reaches his hand. And I said, "No, wait a minute. Before I give you this, I need you to take like, I want you to walk like five laps around the auditorium for me." So, the Pastor, that doesn't make sense. That's all I got to do. Great. Yeah, and they're free. Are they free? No. Is it a great deal? Yes. Okay. So, you're a sinner. I'm a sinner. Trust Jesus. And get baptized. And you can go to heaven. That's a great deal. But it's not free. Trust Jesus and come to church. X number of times a year. Great deal. Not free. Not a gift. The Bible says in Revelation chapter 20 verse 14. And death and hell were cast into the lake of fire. Which is the second death. So we're talking about our just reward. Our just payment for our sin. Is death. Separation from God in the lake of fire. But. It's a wonderful word. The gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. It is Jesus Christ plus nothing minus nothing. If I don't come to Christ and I understand that I have a need of him, then I will never put my faith and trust in him. But I understand this morning that salvation, while it's free to us, costs him a lot. John chapter 1 and verse number 14 uh, he tells us uh, that he, that part of the price that he had to start in the word was made flesh and dwelt among us and we beheld his glory. The glory is of the only begotten of the father full of grace and truth. It cost him heaven. 
He had to get up off of his throne in heaven and he had to come to this earth and he had to put on human flesh and be bound by it and walk upon the earth from the time of his birth, his miraculous virgin birth, until the time of his resurrection and 40 days afterward when he ascended to the Father for good. What I'm saying this morning is simply this, that just leaving heaven and coming to a sin-cursed earth was a high price. It cost him. It cost him a willingness uh, so what was the cost? Well, the cost was a miraculous birth. We know uh, that the Bible tells us that he was born of a virgin. Why is that important, Pastor? Is that really true? Why is it so significant? Because the sinful nature, as I mentioned earlier, that we have within us was passed to us by our fathers. Had Jesus had a natural earthly father and was conceived by the natural process, he would have inherited a sinful nature and the sacrifice that he made on the cross would have been for his own sins instead of ours. He would have been an unworthy sacrifice. No matter how perfect he was, he would have been an unacceptable sacrifice to God. So it took the supernatural working of God for him to be conceived without a sinful nature so that he could have the opportunity to be uh, an acceptable sacrifice to pay our sin debt for God. So we see here the cost of his incarnation is the cost of a miraculous birth. It is also a life uh, of, of rejection and betrayal. He lived a lifetime of rejection and betrayal. Everywhere that he turned in John chapter 1 and still in verses 10 and 12. And he was in the world and the world was made by him. And the world knew him not. And he came into his own and his own received him not. He was, re he was rejected by his own town. He was rejected by his own family. Uh, he was rejected by, uh, by Judas. He was rejected uh, at another level by, by Peter and the others on the night of his arrest. And some form, though some came back, some never did. He had to endure the suffering emotionally of those that he invested in and loved and was close to rejecting him. Of his own creation rejecting him. He lived a life of rejection and betrayal. Not only that, he lived a life in which he had to endure temptation, just as you and I do. In Hebrews chapter number 4, uh, and in verse number 15, uh, he puts it this way. Uh, and it's familiar verses, I know, but he says, For we have not an high priest, which cannot be touched with the feeling of our infirmities, but was in all points tempted as we are, and yet without sin. Jesus knows what it's like. Say, Pastor, well, how could Jesus know what it's like to, to be tempted? He was tempted just like you and I are. He was tempted and remained without sin. And so we see the cost of his incarnation as the cost of a miraculous birth and a life of rejection and a life of temptation. Not only that, we see the cost and we take into account the cost of atonement. Atonement was costly. In the Old Testament, God set up a system of worship in which they would have to choose uh, once they would have to choose a lamb out every year uh, to come and live in their home with them for a year. They named it. They treated it like a pet. They loved it. Uh, and whenever atonement day came, they would take it to the tabernacle and later the temple. And the family would gather at the gate. And the father or the head of the household would go in their view into the courtyard. And the priest would take the animal and lift up its head. And the father, the head of the household, was the one who had to stretch forth the knife and cut the animal's 
throat. The priest then gathered the blood and offered it as an atonement sacrifice for the people. Uh, the high priest of Israel uh, took and made an and, and the holy of holies, the holiest place where the Ark of the Covenant was that represented the presence of God. Once a year, on behalf of the nation, would go into the holiest of holies and offer a, a sacrifice of atonement uh, to be a covering temporarily for the people's sins for that year. Until Jesus became that permanent sacrifice. He set a picture of what the cost would be in the Old Testament and he fulfilled it in the New Testament. The cost of atonement, Hebrews chapter 9 in uh, verse 12, uh, he tells us, Neither by the blood of goats and calves, but by his own blood he entered once into the holy place, having obtained eternal redemption for us. In verse 28 uh, of the same chapter, he says, So Christ was once offered to bear the sins of many, and unto them that look for him shall he appear the second time without sin unto salvation. In Hebrews chapter 10 and verse 10, he says, By the which will we are sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. He didn't offer himself over and over again. He was one sacrifice that was an acceptable, uh, that was accepted to pay the permanent cost of salvation to a holy God. The cost of incarnation, the cost of atonement, then there's the cost of love. Come back to our text this morning in John chapter 3 and verse number 16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. It's the cost of love. Love costs. Love pays a price. The cost of love, he became sin. He loved us so much that he became sin on that cross that he might experience on the cross the punishment that God doled out for the sin of mankind. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 21, he says, For he hath made him to be sin for us who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. Jesus Christ did not just go and because he loved us to the cross, he went in sinless perfection because he loved us. But while on the cross, he became our sin. So when he cried out, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? He was communicating to us that God, uh, his father, was pouring out his sin upon him as he was pouring out sin to punish all sin of all humanity for all time. And the person in the form of Jesus Christ, all of his anger, all of his wrath, all of his justice was satisfied in those three hours on that cross. For you and for me. The cost of love, he became sin. You stop and you think about that. Knowing what the cost was, he said, I love you enough to go through this. I love you enough to choose this. I love you enough to become everything that's necessary. I want you to notice, secondly, in the cost of love that he offered himself willingly. He offered himself willingly. No one forced him to go. In Hebrews, again, in chapter 7, in verse number 27, uh, he tells us, uh, it tells it this way, Who needeth not daily as those high priests to offer up sacrifice, first for his own sins and then for the people's. For this he did once when he offered up himself. He chose. John chapter number 15 uh, and verse number 13, uh, he tells us uh, that greater love hath no man than this, than a man lay down his life for his friends. 
My friend, this morning on Friend Day, I'm going to tell you something. There's no greater friend that you'll ever have than the Lord Jesus Christ. He looks at us where we are. He looks at us in our destitute state. He looks at us in a, with a broken and a, uh, and, a, and a disheveled life. And he says, I don't care about any of that. I love you and I will come to you and I will give myself for you and I will gift you eternal life. Not only that, from this point forward, you don't have to walk through this life alone, but I will lead you and guide you through it and I will mold you and make you into my image if you let me. The cost of love. He gave himself willingly. And then lastly, the course to salvation. He tells us right here in John chapter 3. Again in, uh, in verse number 16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him. Whosoever believeth in him. What does that mean? I would say this morning, believe in Jesus. He gave us the illustration of the brass serpent in the wilderness as he continues giving the explanation to Nicodemus here in John chapter 3. What is he saying? He's saying, look and live. Do you believe in me? You're here. You're snake bitten. You're suffering. Will you swallow your pride and humble yourself and just look up at this brass serpent? What Jesus is saying, you're here. You're snake bitten. You're in your sin. Will you just look up at the cross? Will you look up at a resurrected Savior? When you look up at what I've done and the price that I've paid and the love that I have for you, will you believe in me? Will you believe that I was born miraculously of a virgin? Will you believe that I lived a sinless, perfect life? Will you believe that I offered myself for you on Calvary's cross? Will you believe that I was resurrected from the dead on your behalf, conquering death and hell? If you'll look, you can live. Look and live, my brother, live. Look to Jesus now and live. Tis recorded in his word. Hallelujah! It is only that you look and live. Will I look to the Lord Jesus Christ this morning and live? Believe in Jesus. How do I do that, Pastor? What must I do? First, I must acknowledge my need. If I don't understand that I have a need, then I'll never trust him. I shared the illustration a few weeks ago. I was reading it and... Uh, Two men were out on the beach and one of them was out in the water and the other one was laid up soaking in the sun. And the guy that was out in the water was, was out and he stepped off a ledge and didn't know it was there and the water, the, the, the ground that he had under him was just gone. And he didn't know how to swim. And he's flailing around and he can't get back to the shelf and he is crying out to his friend up on the beach, hey! calls his name come and help me I can't swim as he's going down friend lowers his nose from the book sits up a little bit and says I can't either but I'm not making all this fuss about it <laughs> he didn't care he didn't have a need my friend simply put this morning if I don't understand that I need Jesus I'm never going to trust him I'm never going to turn to him I'm never going to put my faith in him but if you've sensed in your heart this morning Something within you that's pressing you, that's saying, this is right. This is true. This is Jesus. This is where you are. This is what you need. Don't dismiss that. That's not pastor trying to guilt trip you. That is the Holy Spirit of God trying to speak to your heart. And if I'll respond to his speaking to my heart, acknowledging my need, 
Acknowledging, what am I acknowledging my need, Pastor? I'm acknowledging that I am condemned in my sin. That's it. I'm a sinner. I've told lies. It's interesting in Revelation chapter 21 and verse 8, he says, but the fearful, have you ever been afraid? And the unbelieving, and the murderers, and whoremongers, and sorcerers, and idolaters, and all liars. Now listen, my friends say, well, Pastor, I'm not a liar. Now wait a minute. If I were to come to Andy this morning and say, Andy, how many people would I have to kill before you call me a murderer? One. And how many lies do I have to tell before you think God would call me a liar? If you're here this morning and say, Pastor, I've never lied, you're lying. I'm trying to be unkind. It's just the truth. Self-included. Why? Why, Pastor? We have a sinful nature. What I'm saying this morning is I must acknowledge that I'm a sinner. I must acknowledge that because of my sin, I am condemned by my sin. I'm not condemned because of God being cruel. I'm condemned because I turned from him. Because I sinned against him. Then what must I do then, Pastor? Receive his gift of salvation. Again in Romans 6, 23. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life. It is a gift. I must receive his gift of salvation. In Romans chapter number 10, and most of you know these verses well, uh, he says that if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus and shalt believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. For with the heart man believeth unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation for whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved if I come this morning and will acknowledge that I have a need of Jesus Christ as my Savior believe in him and accept the gift then what Jesus described to Nicodemus is taking place is called a new birth it is the Spirit of God doing a supernatural work in our heart to resurrect the spirit that died in the Garden of Eden when man sinned so that we are restored into the image of God as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit to body, soul, and spirit. We experience the regeneration, the being made alive again of the Spirit of God. Listen, salvation isn't about praying a prayer it's about putting my faith and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ and it's allowing him to transform and resurrect in me a dead spirit so pastor you mean I can just I can just trot along and pray that prayer listen you're not going to pray that prayer sincerely if you don't understand that you have a need of it Jesus said in Luke chapter 13 and verse 3 and again in verse number 5 that except you repent you shall all likewise perish in other words the message is this I need to experience and to express a godly sorrow for my sin. When I say this morning that, I'm, that I am acknowledging that I'm sinful and that I'm without God, that I'm condemned, it also indicates that I recognize God's perfection and God's holiness and my falling short of Him. And that creates a sorrow in my heart that God uses to draw me to Him. In John, he says that we must be drawn to the Father. But he also says if we seek him, we will, he will be found. And it also says that he came to seek and save that which is lost. And it all works coherently together. God is seeking you as you 
are acting upon whatever's going on in your life that's causing you to seek him. And he's leading you to himself. And he's drawing you to himself. And if I will answer that drawing of God, and I will acknowledge that, yes, God, my life is sinful and I'm broken and it separates us and it causes me sorrow, I'm repenting or turning from my sin. Repenting is just simply an attitude of godly sorrow. It's not a change of behavior. It's a change of attitude. And when I put my faith and trust in Christ, believing truly that I need him, and acknowledging that he's God and that he's paid the price and that price was acceptable to his father, and I will ask him to be my savior, then the Holy Spirit will move into my heart and the supernatural act of God makes me born again in the Lord Jesus Christ. There's nothing you can do because he's done it all. But when he offers the invitation, when he extends his hand, when he says, this is what you need and this is what I've done about it, would you come? Would you have me? We suffer this morning, my friends, from sin's poison. And if we'll turn to a Savior who is high and lifted up, we can be healed from.